Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by 420 Australia, your premier store for lifestyle and apparel, as well as organic gardening solutions, your one-stop shop for organic gardening needs. This episode, we're joined by none other than Duke Diamond VA to chat all things breeding and what we can expect from him in the future. So let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big thank you and welcome to our second part tour, Duke Diamond, VA. Thanks for coming back. Uh, thanks for having me, buddy. So, first question this time, what are you currently smoking on at the moment? Um, It was a uh, genius skunk fina that popped out and it was like Captain Crunch, Crunch Berries and it's real good. <laughs> kind of surprised me. Is this a cross we can maybe expect in the future? I don't know. I have to. Uh, I have to show it to uh, Mister Soul there, see if he likes it. But uh, I think he would. Like I kind of discounted it because, like, I kind of made it already knowing, like, well, <clears throat> it's going to just turn out like genius because, like, everything kind of you know leans that way. So um, I was like, well, you know, see what happens. And the whole time it was growing, I was like, yeah, it looks like genius and kind of smells like it and same pretty much everything had a little more resin a little more structure so i kind of discounted it until uh i was like popping the jars and uh crunch berry smell came out and i was like whoa so i tried some and then kind of hooked on it so it might be something I have to make <laughs> yeah that's interesting because i remember i think i mentioned before that i had found a really genius dominant genius haze which is perfect because that was exactly what i was looking for i love genius but it brings to mind the question for me what's the ideal partner for genius if she is so dominant would you need to match that with something equally dominant or no is the ideal partner like something kind of more quote submissive and just kind of allowing her to shine what's your theories on that i don't know i guess it'd be like uh whatever you're whatever your end goal would be if you're trying to make like you know more like a replica of the mom or if you're trying to make something you know totally different maybe like leaving certain attributes and changing others you know um so um yeah it kind of depends what you would your end goal would be like if i was doing if I was going to, like, back cross it and try to get that phenotype kind of isolated, I'd probably, hmm, like, like when we did the Green Avenger, I would probably, like, use, like, a male from that or something and back cross it at least probably two, maybe three times till I felt like it was pretty good. And then I would, like, probably filial breed it, F3, F4, or something like that, and... I feel like you would get a pretty good representation of that, you know, that one pheno, and try to improve it along the way as well. Because, like, any time I've ever tried to, like, really inbreed something, <clears throat> I was trying to, you know, fix certain things, you know, while maintaining the, the good attributes, too. It's kind of tricky sometimes. <laughs> yeah, okay. And, I mean, that kind of makes sense to me in a way because... The Green Avenger, I think you even mentioned this, it's probably the most replica of genius in seed form of all the Brothers Grimm offerings. Yeah. But at the same time, 
at least from what I could see, seems to have that really, I'm not going to say a lot more, but a little bit more aesthetic bud look that kind of the Space Queen yep. and the, the, you know, the derivatives of that had. Would you try to retain that per se, or do yeah. you think that the Genius has good aesthetics as it is? I mean, it, it looks good as is, but, you know, it... <clears throat> Uh, like it's kind of a weird weird point too because like it it does like the biomass thing to like later you know like mid 40s and then it starts getting interested in like resin production and like on a good run with it i mean it looks pretty pretty darn good but um the the branches on it are, are kind of floppy you know it's not like the most uh you know structurally strong plant especially for something that grows such big buds on it you know the yield on it's like really nice but um you got to keep up with all the branches so uh green avenger really you know strengthened everything up and it also reinforced a lot of the desirable traits that like ran through the apollo lines also like you know going back with it it's not like like a back cross per se but like a generational back cross of taking those desirable apollo genes and then going back you know to the uh you know to the grandma so um it seemed like you know fixed all the 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 weak branching and giving it that extra layer resin was really nice and the only thing that i would say like that i would like to see like stronger in it or not really stronger but i guess more consistent um in the progeny would be the 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 effect because genius has a really 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 nice speedy effect to it and like some of those green avengers <clears throat> would just put you put you like ridiculously stoned you know um my favorite one was like real speedy for about like 40 minutes and then you would just crash like i mean crash hard um which you know like the genius wouldn't do so like i think like you can get a certain way and then, like, if you wanted to, like, replicate that chemotype, you, you'd really have to hunker down on that, you know, to get it get it just so. But I think, like, a couple of back crosses from, say, like, a Green Avenger back to that would, would you know, isolate that a little bit better. But it's just, you know, each step you'd have to make sure to not, not let any of the weak branching back into it, you know? Well, would you considering with all that being said would you consider just say doing s1s of it to be a bit of a waste of time in regards to trying to put it in seed form because like maybe you could put it in seed form in the most basic of senses but you would still have all the issues which you just you know listed you would try to improve on or would you still consider doing just a straight s1 well like if you did like a s1 and then you know found that particular female that matched up to it very well and if it could also go through like stress testing and everything and not like freak out um maybe reversing that one back to the mom um you know you 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 might be able to find something in the progeny that would have like a stronger structure and if it's on that x chromosome going back like that should you know should improve it but um you never really know till you till you do it so um he might actually he might be working on doing that here in the future but um and then like the other 
I guess like the op- not the opposite way of thinking, but another way of thinking of it is like you might have a certain female <clears throat> that you can get just about everything out of it. Look, smell, taste, um, structure, flowering time, with calyx ratio, colors, etc. But like it never, never has that that good potency that the uh, that the original mom had. And I've noticed that like certain ones, like you can only get it to pass like I think by reversing it out to something else, and then um, you know trying to recover it, recover it from there. Um, it just seems like certain things they won't breed out, you know. So you might actually have to like do the back cross and the filial route on one end, and then also like self it, you know, or not self it, but um, out reverse it and out cross it to, to maybe something else closely related in the line to like go back to it, you know, to really, you know, get every single point made, you know. Uh, from your structure vigors and root zone stuff and resistances and yada 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 you know so it might take like using kind of like three different tools to to get to your end goal definitely some meaningful breeding in those ideas so i guess if we're going to drag things back to one of the main projects everyone's interested from you the skunk project how's it all going you know like you want to give us a bit of an update on it all Oh yeah, yeah, it's going real good. Um, it's like at this point, like we can hit we can hit a lot of those uh, phenos, but it's not like every single one. And like some of them tend to be a little more fuely, and you get the burnt rubber smell, and then like you know you can lean to a more just kind of a burnt rubber rotten meat and then sometimes you get you know like a good blend of everything where it's coming out pretty pretty damn skunky so it's more or less like getting it to the point to where you know i could say all right guys here's you know a bunch of seeds and when you pop them all it's just it's all skunk you know it's just you gotta you know pick which one you like the best i guess you know for like maybe flower time or you know normal normal you know so yeah sounds you know. almost similar to like a, just a cindy 99 pheno hunt you know like all the same you just pick the one you yeah. like yeah pretty much pretty much but like i want to refine it like a little bit a little bit further than that you know i just i don't know i just can't i couldn't have it out there if like everything isn't you know firing on all cylinders and you know real good so i figure anything takes that much time you know might as well make it super super rad and put the extra time into it and you know make sure that everybody be happy with it because if i gotta put my name on it i don't want any bunk (laughs) you know going out there so i mean i guess just to clarify for the diehard fans are we talking about a skunk project here or a roadkill skunk project yeah yeah we're like because if and like to me personally like i feel like if that's the same thing you know like there really shouldn't be any differentiation you know like if you got a skunk it should smell like a skunk you know like as simple as that because you know the things that are dead on the road that got ran over i mean you're smelling their their gland you know that 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 gland burst and that that skunk sprays out there so um yeah, so, like, I always kind of felt, you know, that that, 
you know, it was kind of messed up. <laughs> Somebody, you know, had that the, the real sweet skunk, you know, and started calling it that. So, um, yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, what I'm working on, like, if you if you did have a differentiation of the two, I guess red kill skunk, whatever the one people would consider stinkier, I guess. <laughs> I think that's what the people are after. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so kind of with that being said I have seen a few photos going around of a few of our friends with a plant called roadkill skunk number four what's this is this just maybe a, a particular pheno that's you know hitting all the right spots for you no no it's um so when I when I really got to cranking down on everything like a you know I had like a bunch of older stock that I had to get pollinated and every or not pollinated germinated and um, there were a few things that you know used to give us that funk back in the day you know we're growing outdoors but um, you know I figured like I'd pop them and check them out and um, I kind of just you know was doing a pollination had a client and one of them in there and it was like more of the sativa route and um toss those in there get them made um grew them out and like you know you got you got some some little skunky notes to it you know like it's pretty good um you get like the cheesy cheesy skunky citrusy diesel a little bit with it um and some of them would be more like I don't know how to explain it other than a sour apple green tea or something, you know. But nonetheless, like, you know, it was kind of just like for shits and grins. So what I did, um, there were like 12 things that got hit um, early on to kind of get the project rolling. And uh, that was one of them that was like, wasn't going to go that route, but just kind of did it (laughs) just because, you know and um hooked up a few friends with it and they grew them out and you know everybody liked it a lot they were like yeah it's skunky as hell but it was like i I know that like i mean yeah it's skunky but like it gets a lot better than that you know it was just kind of like some shits and giggles stuff (laughs) okay so if we just quickly jump back to you mentioned earlier as well as i've seen photos of this one as well the uh the skelly cross to the skunk and i think he also said there's the chem dog in there as well um mm-hmm. what's what can we expect from that will that be like an individual release the chem cis skunk skelly or just more of an r&d thing well that's kind of kind of more of an r&d thing um you know you know how i only I always hook up hook up friends and you know cool people just to just to be cool like that but um um like uh what's more to be seen out of that is more like an isolation of the of the mom um not much is really going to change off of that and um hmm put it um you kind of you kind of bringing a lot of family genes together if you will and um like the recombination of that stuff it worked out really well it was like you know it was like spitting out replicas of, of the mother plants you know they were like a little bit of 
it's a little bit of variance, you know, which, you know, I expect, you know, to see like, you know, what, what, what are the weirdos going to come out like. And, um, like one of the ones with the sister, it smells like, uh, like yellow starburst candy. Um, like if you could have that smell with like a patchouli type incense, you know? So like that one was like real off the wall, but like all the rest of them, you know, kind of, you know, garlicky and skunky and funky like that sister was. Um, the one thing I noticed, like, when doing the light leak stress testing, um, they resisted all that, you know, very well. There was one that <clears throat> kind of, you know, tapped out a little bit toward the end, but it was in the last, you know, that last week. And, like, I mean, it was a pretty, pretty decent light leak I was giving them to. So they did a lot, lot better than what I'd even thought they would do but I did notice like just like the mom um, when they were at that 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 prime time harvest window that they were going to try to poke at least one or two nanners out you know somewhere in the top of the canopy and um, they resisted the light leak and you, you might could say that maybe that was like their point of tapping out but the mom kind of does that too you know it wants to push that little one out like at that that peak peak harvest time it seems so I kind of didn't pay that as much mind you know I was just kind of looking at more of what was what was retained and it was nice to see that you know they didn't they didn't really you know freak out but um out of the test group um there were a few of them that had didn't even have the, the late nanner you know there was 100% hermaphrodite free which you know really surprised me and then out of those uh one of them actually also happened to be the best one you know so that told me hey you know you're on the right track you don't have to sacrifice in any of the other stuff you know like like that late nanner trait you know that's wanting to push out during the peak time like hey the the best pheno didn't do that it also resisted, you know, a lot of the stress too, and turned out to be the most potent and the most uh, representative of the mom as well. So I was like, huh, cool. So maybe, you know, in a couple of generations, we can fix that and kind of have more of like a pure, like a pure chem seed. That's the goal of this. And how many generations do you think it would take to get such a thing? Only one way to find out, buddy. <laughs> um, but I mean, just just based off of what I saw in the F one, I mean, you know, if I want if I wanted to be like a real shortcut asshole, I'd just be exit one time, and I bet you I'd, I'd be there. But um, um, I don't know. I think if if we're gonna have it more like a seed form of the of the mother, um. I think at least, you know, three or four back crosses and maybe a filial breeding after that, maybe. Or, I don't know. It's it's really hard to tell until you really get into it and, you know, start working them and growing them. And then you kind of kind of see what direction you're going to have to go. But, um, shit, just in the F1, I was, I was real happy with it, though. So, I mean, to draw you back to a point you made before, you said, you know, it's all kind of drawing on a lot of similar genetics in this cross. Just to remind everyone, we're talking about Skelly, Original Skunk, as well as the Chem Sis. 
something I've noticed is people frequently reference Skelly as like a skunky strain and I always inquire about that and there's almost like this pause for a moment and they're like oh no I just meant it tasted skunky and it's almost like I don't know you know not to sound weird it sounds like you know like some people out there maybe think there's skunk in it I guess well that's like kind of the impression I get do you think anything about that well it's really stinky um I wouldn't call it skunky but it's nasty you know um and the 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 main components of it um being as what it is it's like old seed bank um hash plant you know like a neville made hash plant and i want to say it was like nl1 crossed to like a male of nl5 and nl2 or something like that so like i know that it's like it's primarily it's like a a northern lights combination focusing more on the shorter phenos the more endocadominant phenos so um you know it 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 definitely it's stinky as a motherfucker but it's like to me it was like more more fuely spicy hashy you know but um like i mean if you had like a bud in your pocket and that here's the other thing too is like to me a lot of weed can smell skunky um but like something i've noticed is like a you know weed in a jar as you're smelling it like all concentrated like that when you when you take like a bud out and you let it breathe you know, and it's able to permeate, and especially like if it gets hot, you know, if you're just walking around with a bud in your pocket, like in a bag, you know, a lot of weed can smell really skunky, you know. But, um, shit, I forgot where I was going with that, man. Um, well, I mean, yeah. ultimately, right, I think maybe one of the other implications we get is something a lot of guests have referenced in that the roadkill skunk itself, or even more so just those extremely acrid skunky smells may actually be something which is more of like an Afghani artifact as opposed to like a Sam the Skunk Man type thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always on that same line of thought that a lot of the skunkier stuff from back in the day were like Afghani hybrids and um, like skunk Afghan hybrids as well as like um, Northern Light skunk hybrids. And those tended to be, you know everything that ranged like from garlic to fecal you know and everything in between coffee beans slash skunk burnt rubber that whole side of the spectrum you know interesting so another post i've seen which i think might be in relation to all of this is you've referenced in a few posts something about the masterpiece you know what is the masterpiece Oh, that's like all my little all my little projects I've been working on for so long. We're gonna finally have them all done, all completed, and just be done. Like, uh, then I, I feel good about it, you know. So, because like a lot of projects, you know, there's a lot of years on some stuff too, and some stuff I don't really get to talk about because you know I just kind of want to keep it DL. But um, it is be real nice to have it all done, and you know, people can enjoy it. And, like, the thing is, like, I made everything kind of for me <laughs> to my, my snobby uh, weed standards. So I kind of figure if I really like it, you know, other people would probably like it too. So, um, yeah, it'll just kind of be the end of the road. I'm making a few things that I was pretty proud of. And it'll be all, all finito. 
And so can people expect to be able to maybe grab a few of these finito projects at the Emerald <laughs> Cup? Um, well, some of them, like, it's, um, it's just some stuff that's, um, been, like, steps into making, making those things. But, yeah, like, I'll always have some, some neat, you know, neat things with me. And there were things that I made, like, intermediary steps or things that I made just to, like, kind of study, like, what a male's doing across the broad spectrum. And after running them and growing them and testing them, smoking them, stressing them and everything, like... They were really super awesome, you know, but it's like it was never intended to be the project. It was just more of a study of like how the males, you know, kind of going along with another female and, um, you know, stuff was really awesome. So, like, I'll have some of those things and like I'll hold on to them like a little while because, you know, I'm still, you know, researching them and looking at them and, you know, making sure that. You know, I, I know what I need to know, and um, I don't particularly want to just say, oh, okay, here you go, everybody, you know, when it's, like, part of a, a program that I'm working as well. So um, a lot of it's stuff like that. Like, so many steps have been made, you know, I consider them what's left of the what I made to, to do all the testing with. Um, you know, I can let some of those out, but they're real limited limited quantities so yeah i mean it's interesting that you're gonna do it that way because i think it's almost one of the best ways because something i noticed was a while ago someone posted a photo of growing out cindy 88 and it was like everyone in the comments was like wow you got to grow out like one of the steps in like you know the overall process and like obviously you know there's a lot of kind of excitement as to you know there'd be more variation that'd be cool to see you know all that type of stuff so I think in a way it's almost like the most rarest of the limited edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like that headband with the Super Sativa C Club Skunk One in it. I mean, it's really it's really phenomenal, you know. It's really, really awesome. But um like I said with that one I was just more or less like looking at what the male does in a in a related cross, you know, like being able to see like Kim ninety one with the same male sister d with the same male um and things that were outside of that family too you know like all types of things across the board and really figure out you know what was happening but like with that one with headband i mean it throws like huge big old fat colas and real stinky lime candy kush like uh a little skunkiness to it as well you know but um real killer but, you know, like I got a handful of those and a bunch of bunch of little jewels. And so I have them with me at Emerald. And like when they're gone, they're gone. Like I'm not, you know, going to be making more of them or anything. So that's interesting you mentioned that as well because I was going to ask a question about the dead bands. Um, mostly, I was going to say, do you see it as a potential source for, you know, like future work, maybe like a new mail? But I actually realized... A better question is, have you ever been doing a similar thing, you know, where you're testing out the male and then you do, maybe not necessarily the dead band, but you, you trial out one of the crosses and, and it just catches you off guard and you're like, shit, I've got to work this out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that happens uh, quite frequently because, like, um, in certain cases, you'll, you'll do something and be like, wow, that didn't work out at all. It's complete shit. 
there's the opposite end of that spectrum of like holy mother like that is like far far exceeded what i'd expected and then you realize like well hey you know if i could work that a little bit better that could actually like change the whole the whole duration of the process up and you might yeah you might end up wanting to work one line a little bit longer and more you know to go back out to to something else and it would improve it make it that much better so you will you will run into that you know like both of them you know stuff where you're like ah it sucked and then stuff that's like wow that that could actually work and improve in something else because like if you're you know really studying those males and halogen pairs are like transferring with each other um you know you can you can see like a method to the madness and that's typically how like the improvements go you know so yeah yep you would definitely definitely want to do that okay so i mean if you were going to do a cubing project for example would you want to use a male that was very similar to the female in question or something radically different in order to have easier differentiation i guess i guess like because after it's all said and done you're gonna have six percent of some genes after after four back crosses right so i guess it's whatever the 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 six percent that you would want left over as well as like how something that was opposite how it bred into that first f1 generation and you know i've you know there's two lines of thought with it but i you know i can say like if you do go the opposite way so it's easier to tell out traits in the males you know for further back crossing um using something opposite you know can make that easier but as the the process continues you know you're you're up in the frequency of those genes from the mother that you're back crossing to or the dad that you're using in a back crossing so um you, you know it, it really comes down to like growing out that that f1 generation very 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 thoroughly and it can make it tricky if you're using something that's you know maybe looks the same but acts completely different but if I was going to go like the similarity route, me personally, I've always been a fan of like jumping back into the same gene pool. Maybe not the exact same clones and the exact same thing, but but it is the same gene pool. You know, it might not be that clone and that exact male or what have you. But if you're already like jumping back into that gene pool during your, you know, your your first grow out of this F1 that you're going to try to select a male from after you've looked at enough of those females you can see how everything's kind of put together and then that'll you know can lead you on your on your journey to finding your male that you're going to back cross um and then that's where the improvements can come in as well you know so say like a green avenger if that was our you know if we were going to do that genius project right you know we'd want to go with that green avenger and like you know we're already kind of there because when we grow out the f1 you know version of that of course it's like very very similar um the backside of it is like you have so many of those genes that are already back into that pool that you know you you might 
really water it down. Like sometimes, you know, not everything responds the same. So like you can inbreed something weak, you know what I mean? Um, there's a lot to be said for, for hybrid vigor too. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different, different routes you could go with that, man. Um, there's also the line of thought of, um, using two different males to do the first F1 that aren't related. Um, if you can have them both in that same gene pool and back cross two separate lines, um, and at the end of their cubing combine them, um, that, that, like that little 6% difference on, on both sides, you know, um, can reintroduce like a bit of the hybrid vigor, you know? So, uh, that's interesting. I've got so many questions. Um, first one, do you think that doing a few back crosses, let's say, you know, more extreme example would be Cindy where, you know, we've got four. Do you think that you've really lost hybrid vigor at that point or do you think it takes a lot longer than that to lose it? Um, it depends. But if you think about it like this, like say like, you know, you're talking about the princess clone. If you knew it came out of some, some jack hair, right? So you got that far. Um, if you figure that NL5 and skunk are part of that jack hair, and you use NL5 skunk to start your cubing process. Um, so you take NL5 skunk and pollinate princess with it. You know that you're kind of, you're back into the gene pool. Um, but yet you're, you're still quite different because it's not jack that you're starting with, right? You know, you're using like a two-thirds of the combination plus you got an unknown male in there too perhaps or you just say an unknown pollen donor in there and um you um doing it like that i don't think like you'll run it down as hard um but say like if the say like uh the bud that the seed came out of that you had that clone and some other type of pollen donor um if you started cubing from there you might actually kind of be more more pure before like you would hit say like that point of like where you're you're starting to water down again um so and and different things act differently too like we have a skunk at a F10, you know, it doesn't lose bigger, but I've had things that, you know, if you bred them from F3 to F4, it hit like a big, a big drop off, you know? So different things are going to kind of respond differently too. And so if we just jump back to a point you made earlier in regards to say, you know, you, you do your cubing project with two lines and combine them at the end. Do you think a lot of the characteristics that people would consider unique to a cubing process, like I guess most notably um, people will say that the more inbred a line is, the more dominant it will be when you cross it to things, you know. So if you cross like, you know, a BX4 to just like an F1, you generally get, you know, more dominance from the BX4. And so with that in mind, when you said, you know, you combine those two lines together technically it'd be an f1 right because they've got slightly different genetics even though very similar um would you consider it to still be like have all the properties of like a cube at that point or more have like more f1 than the average cube so to speak or like you know what i mean 
Well, what you would have, you would have an extremely consistent F1. You know, like when you did hit that F1 generation, you you would have a lot of a lot of good attributes. You know, it wouldn't be like a poly hybrid F1. You know, um, it would already kind of be kind of be locked up, but still, you know, technically, uh, it's still a F1 hybrid. Just because you know, from both sides, you had six percent and six percent that weren't, you know, um, that weren't that clone. So you you still have that difference. And then when you combine, you make the F one. Um, you know, you're you you you've gotten it you've gotten it all back back together. And um, I think from there, like if you you know if that's where you were looking to to breed from from there like you know by f3 like that should be consistent as hell you know like you should really be throwing like the very consistently the same phenotype by f3 if you you know if you cube two separate lines you know to the same to the same mother then combine make the f1 and continue to f3 by that point you should be really 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 tight very tight tolerances at that point yeah wow I guess that's what we could only hope all F1s will become in the future, right? Yeah, that wouldn't hold your breath, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've seen recently not only the use of S1s, but even S2s as breeding mothers for a few different breeders out there. How do you feel about this? And is it something you would ever consider to do yourself? It might be. might be what you have to do, you know? I mean, it's like you know reversing and filial breeding and back crossing i mean all that you know they're just like different tools to get to the goal that you're looking to get to and whatever whatever tool you need to use you know by all means go for it so like in the case of the the clone that can only you know really breed out that that real stellar potency through you know a reversal you know that, that might be what you have to do you know and then, you know, you might have to, to go the other route, you know, with males and back crossing and out crossing and taking the F3 to breed the rest of it, you know, very consistent. And you might have to take that F3 that you've bred and go to the one that you reverse to say like S2, you know, to make sure that you're hitting that, uh, if, if you can get it to breed that way, that is, to, to get that potency as well. Okay, well... The devil's in the details with this one, so I'll give you a real example. Maybe not an S1 or an S2, but would you... No, not would you, but let's just say you have to. You have to breed with a feminized plant. It's probably going to be like a pretty well-known one. Which one would you pick out of all the fems, good clones that have come from a fem seed that you're aware of? Which one would you pick, so to speak? Uh, what? <laughs> None of them. Uh, no, no, I just didn't. Um, so you just asking me like if I could pick like a like a reversed uh, plant, like which one would it be? Like yeah, yeah. Or uh, like there's a bunch. There's a bunch of clones that have come from like fem seeds, right? And, and like fem dog or something, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, or like any of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or yeah. Sour diesel or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, what do you reckon? Which one would you pick? Um, I don't 
For, and you said for stability? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess maybe I figured what you pick would have be based on, like, something like stability, but, I mean, you could pick it for whatever reason you want. Uh, fuck, man. Um, hmm. You know, like, uh, like from, like, some of the little side projects and working, like, headband's pretty damn gnarly. Like, doesn't really have any, like, what I would call, like, bad tendencies to it. It's well-behaved, yields good, it's very potent, you know? So, headband's always a good one. Jumping on to the next one, I guess after you finished the kind of skunk project... Is there anything on the horizon that you're kind of eyeing off already as maybe next project? Um, no, not really. Because, like, by the time it's all said and done, like, you know, I'm a, like, I work on multiple things at the same time. Um, so, like, when that's coming to fruition, you know, there's a bunch of other stuff coming to fruition, too. Um, that 187 with the Screaming Eagle, that was, you know, um, that was one of them. Um, so essentially trying to make my own little, uh, G13 hash plan of sorts, you know, so I had to make all the, all the steps to get to there. So that was a little bit of a, little bit of an endeavor. <laughs> Is that the, uh, 88BX or something yeah. a little different? No, that's, um, so I took a Kandahar Afghani and I pollinated the 88, grew out a bunch, select a male, um, real, real nice, you know, uh, very 88 dominant. And then I hit the, uh, airborne G13 with it. Um, so that made the screaming eagle. Um, like the, the phenotypes of it, um, you know, fairly consistent. Um, here and there you'd see that Afghani pop up like it made like a thicker bud but the smell flavor potency was like pretty true across the board which I liked but there was this one in particular that and I didn't keep a clone of it and like I told myself like no keeping clones of this run because it's going to make you complacent and then you're not going to grow anymore because like you're just going to have this clone so anyways man I don't take the clone and like I'm kicking myself in the ass for it but anyways it had a lot more um, of the 88 dominance because like that airborne G13 like it's a strong breeder you know and then, like it really shines through later in the uh, in the offspring so um, that one in particular had that little bit more 88 influence and um, god man it, it was great it was like uh like taste the rainbow style you know like uh like every type of fruit candy like smell all wrapped into like one it was really really exceptional and it uh the the flavor of it too man it really coated your mouth you know stayed lingering for a long long time and i was like man this is really nice and uh really nice relaxing chill effect to it as well you know it was very potent so um Anyways, you know, I was, I was pretty happy with that. <clears throat> so had to continue to keep growing them, keep growing them until, you know, I find, like, the, the girl that I'm really, truly happy with. And 
you know, get that part done. And at the same time, um, I wanted to add a little more 88 influence into it. So knowing that the, the Cinderella 99 male that I had picked out, um, it didn't really take too much away from the moms. And if anything, it donated a little few good things to it, um, made it a little faster flowering, um, made the, the, the bud size pretty, you know, a lot bigger than what it was. Um, but it retained the purple color, that purpley, grapey smell. Um, a, lot of, a lot of really good things. So um, very potent as well. So I wanted to take the, uh, I was calling it 187 because of the 88 C99. You get it. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, male and hitting the best screaming eagle female. And that should, that should combine everything just right for me. It should be real good. And then I had stuff uh, going on with the Orange Project, um, with that orange, uh, it was like Calio, Eric 77's Calio clone to Sativa Seed Club Skunk One. And then um, doing a few projects with that, you know, to have the orange thing. And then um, had some other stuff going on with, um, oh, the... um, uh, smokers, so I'm making some uh, strawberry stuff as well. Jeez, so, yeah, that's a lot of lot of little odds and ends. Plus the skunks, plus the kims and kimmy skunks, and this and that. You know, and just got uh, everything. Yeah, and I mean, I just kind of figured just hold back and get it all. You know, work just right and perfect, and when I'm real happy with it, and then then it'll be done. Um. Then there was some other things that I had thrown into the mix that uh, I had reversed the Kim Dog onto a bunch of stuff too, and been hunting through that here lately. So that's uh, that's pretty cool too. Which Kim? Kim Dog. Uh, the only. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ninety one. Yeah. Alrighty. Yep. So the next question, I guess, then is, what do you think about? Uh, the idea of like standout phenotypes being associated with uh, trifoliation or you know whirling phylotaxy because Sol mentioned that with the Queen of Sol and I've seen the idea also mentioned by a few other people and I was just always under the impression that you know the whole trifoliate slash whirling phylotaxy was actually like not related to like a phenotype per se but more just something which would have like you know like a probability of affecting each and every plant where do you sit on that one? Um, I've seen it go both ways. Like um, the the phylotaxis, like I've, I've seen that have like some adverse effects. You know, um, you'll see it in certain plants like pop up here and there, but not like consistently. Like where you could like apply like the golden mean to it or any shit like that. But um, on trifolates, um, I've always kind of viewed it as like, um, given the rarity of it, you know, it's not something you see every single day, um, that it was kind of like the plant's way of trying to evolve, you know? So, you know, I've seen it in certain cases to where it didn't work out too good, but that's not to say because it was a trifle you know, and could have just been like some shit genes in the pool, you know, and it just came out shitty because trifle or not, it was just destined to be shitty. 
Um, but I've also seen it work out very exceptional. And once again, uh, you know, I couldn't say for sure, but it, it's also turned out, um, to where that did become like a, a distinguishing trait that you wanted to look for in the males, you know? So, um, you know, it, it actually make your make your hunt a lot easier if if that is like what you're kind of looking for too. So if you have noticed the correlation, like definitely the trifolate females, you know, were the ones that really, really, really kicked it up like a hundred hundred notches. Um, ideally, you'd want to look for that that trifolate male, and you could actually, you know, if you knew that for a fact is what you were going for you could sprout a pretty huge population and um, not take up much space. But, you know, I have seen trifolates, like, turn into trifolates later on, too. So, but a lot of the times, you know, from the, from the get-go, they're, you know, going to be expressing themselves. Yeah, okay. So, a question I've got, which, I mean, you could apply to that uh, previous question really perfectly if you wanted is how many generations do you think it would take to be able to breed one very specific trait into a strain you know while obviously trying to not fuck up too much of the other things going on so you know yeah like if I said I've got a strain and it's perfect in every way and I just want to get one new trait in there you know how many generations approximately do you think you'd be looking at like if I said to you you know can you give me an ETA so you might you know what I mean like what would you tell me is what I'd be looking at Mm, depends like depends if it breeds true or not you know if it pops up as a recessive then and also like the you are you looking like for like a like a clone or are you looking for a seed line that's like consistently spitting that trait out yeah i guess like a seed line all right well i mean it, it I've, I've seen it done in one i've seen it done in one step like and it just works you know but that doesn't happen a lot so it would depend on what trait if it breeds true for that trait or not and the frequency that you see of that trait and you know each generation then monitor the the percentage the increase of like the 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 more desirable trait frequency that you're seeing until you're you know you're happy with it so um so like if it's like with color right so like they had to be purple um you know you might notice could be like more like 30 percent you know showed color in the f1 generation um you took the f1 generation right and you back crossed to the mom and then you also uh let's say you went f2 selected a purple and went to f3 um you might grow out the f3 generation and say well hell um, you know, I'm only like 50-50, you know, even after all that, I'm at 50-50. Um, in the one back cross, you might have noticed that you upped it to like 75%, you know, purple, you know. So, you know, uh, in that case, and say, well, you know, if the only thing that's truly important to you is that purple color, I would say, you know, continue to back cross, you know. Um, or you know it might not work that way at all you might just say like yeah you know 
like one in ten, you know, maybe purple, and then the rest aren't. And you know, it's really hard to get that. It's telling you, you know, it's not not really breeding true for that trait. And um, it'll take, you know, very large populations and probably a good good amount of time before you could really, you know, breed that true. So the differences in all this is like could be a year, could be ten years, man. You know, and anything in between. It just kind of a lot of variables, you know. Yeah. Okay. So I got a bit of a devil's advocate one for you, and I think Mean Gene kind of even referenced this, the underlying principle in this question. Let's say you were doing a project, and you know, you obviously, you know, you've referenced already your high levels of standards. Let's say you could only get one in 10 seeds to give what you wanted, but it was exactly what you wanted. But no matter what you did, you could never get it to be more than that. Would you want to release that or not give it out, so to speak, given it's kind of not really up to par with your standards? Um, well, it's... If if we're talking, like, overall standards, like, it was, like, some straight shit, like, it's going in the trash can. Now, if... If you say like if I was gonna breed something and I want it to be very um I don't know, uh high yielding and skunky. Um and like I said, at, you know, out of every pack you're gonna get that one that that does do that. And like you have tried to further breed it and it just does not it just does not work, but you do get one in ten, let's say we'll we'll do that and then the rest are like you know, maybe subtle variances of it or um, maybe different. Um, if you just couldn't do it and people wanted it that bad and you were upfront about it, you know, and to say, look, you know, this is the one that you want, it pops up one in 10. Like, you know, you just tell them, you know, right off the bat, you know, this is going to be your hunt, but you should have one out of, you know, if you sprout all these seeds, you, you know, you'll have it. Um, in that case, I guess it would be cool, you know, as long as it meets all the other criteria and that you're, you're being upfront about it. Um, but like, I mean, if it's some straight garbage and it's taking a lot of seeds to find that one, like you probably wouldn't want to, wouldn't want to let that one go. Just throw it in the trash. Yeah. Interesting. To me, it, it spurs this idea to mind whereby, it's it's kind of like for me it's an odd thing the way a lot of strains are advertised in the sense that most strains you're going to get a, a large variety of phenotypes and so it it sits a bit weird with me the way four phenotypes all have the same name and so i don't know i almost think that it, it's kind of is like the way in which you are describing things already you know like for example if you buy a packet of blue dream even if it's really well made, there's maybe only one particular phenotype that's like representative of Blue Dream and the rest are kind of what we're mentioning now, like variations, maybe even a bit bunk. You know what yeah. I mean? So I kind of feel like and that almost happens. Up. Yeah, it happens a lot, man. And like um, if they were, you know, if they told, like if I was like a seed buyer and I bought them and, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, this is what you get. And if I grow 10 of them out and don't see it, and then if I grow 20 out and don't see it, and it's all a bunch of bunk, like, I'm going to be pissed. But if the guy told me, like, typical results are this, 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 and this, but 1 in 50, et cetera, may end up like this. It was like that uh, Cherry AK-47 
you know, and those guys like even put it to the test, like how many, how many seeds does it take to get that cherry, cherry Fina and the serious seed dudes, they grew out a thousand and they found one. So they were like, yeah, cherry Fina is about one in a thousand. So, you know, if everybody had smoked cherry AK and was like, wow, that's the shit. Then they went back, you know, to buy, you know, PAX AK-47, um, you know, and didn't see it. They'd be, like, bummed out. But the thing is, like, they didn't advertise it as such. You know what I mean? Yeah, interesting. I never knew that was the backstory behind that one. Yeah, man. Yeah, that was a real, really rare gem. And, you know, they ended up doing it over there just to see, you know, what it, what it would take to, to find that one. And yeah, it was out of a thousand. So one strain that we don't mention maybe as much as we should on the show, coming from Serious Seas, Cali Mist. It's an interesting one because a lot of people are polarized by the fact some Afghani genetics were introduced into it, I think, around the 2000s, and for a lot of people it just ruined it. Where do you sit on all of that? And, you know, how do you view the original Cali Mist, at least? I was never really into it, man. I never... You know, maybe I just didn't get the right, um, the right expression or quality grow of it. You know what I mean? But like in my experiences through the days, like it, it just never really appealed to me too much. Okay, cool. Might do a bit of a random question. What is the best barbecue dish? You know, brisket, button, pork shoulder. Um. I'm pretty I'm pretty keen on brisket, man. Like I, I do like that. But I don't know, you can't really go wrong. <laughs> as long as it's cooked right, that's good. Um Yeah. But yeah, brisket's pretty good, man. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the Emerald Cup getting some some good brisket from Barbecue B. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll be killer, man. I'm gonna tear it up too. Alrighty. Starve the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, while we're on the topic of the Emerald Cup, the inside scoop is that you and Skunk BA will have a booth together. Is this true? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be pressing rosin. <laughs> he's going to be hooking it up out there. So, Can yeah. we expect maybe a bit of a collab project in the future? You never know, man. You never know. <laughs> I know he's gonna he's gonna have a lot of he said like Kim Dog, Kim Crush, Silver Kim and all that and he'll be there and uh Preston Rosin like on the spot. So should be good, man. That's that's like an experience, like come get some fresh rosin from Skunk VA himself. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's pretty that's pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. Get some Chem ninety one rosin and that's like your stoner story to top everyone else. Yeah, that's a pretty good. Uh, I couldn't think of a better way to get it, and I will be too. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, let me get a little bit of that, man. <laughs> Alrighty, so um, we were chatting about it a little while ago. Cindy ninety nine, it's got crazy needs for calcium. I've had a few people message me about this. What's your tips for ta- for staying on top of essentially a plant that's got crazy calcium demands? Um, what the, like when, when you already know that in advance, um, like the way that I mix my soil up, like I got some pretty good, pretty good sources of calcium that are in there that, you know, break down, you know, nice and slow and steady. Um, 
so it just you know it just revolves to me you know trying to facilitate that um, especially during bloom so I know before I even go into bloom like I'm feeding at a heavy dose um, prior to that you know where most people would you know wouldn't wouldn't really slam it that early on um, I do um, that way you're kind of kind of always like a week ahead of everything but the beauty in it is like when you do take it away like she really fades out really quick and really nice you know so that's kind of like the the good point of it yeah okay so you use it to like yeah time your fade well yeah yeah exactly if you're in um if you're in hydroponics you know you're just you know upping up your calcium and shit um you know I'd say like the week prior to bloom, you know, like where normally, you know, you wait to be in bloom or, you know, you would go ahead and give it, give it that, that little boost prior to. <clears throat> okay. And so just as a bit of a change of questions here, resinous males, you know, this is something that's come up before. I got a bit of a specific question about them. I've noticed when I look at like really closely at seedlings when they're really young I swear I find like little almost like trichomes on a lot of the small ones when they're really young do you think Mm -hmm. that's like a commonality thing or is that the same as like if I grew some of those males out they would be males with trichomes on them um I've kind of seen it hit and miss you know because like the little ones you know seem like a good majority of them do it it's just like to what degree and then like you know um they tend to keep that that type of characteristic you know through through the growth um with the with the males i mean i've i've never been so lucky as to see like the the one fellow from alaska he uh he constantly finds them like i mean full-on resin rails down the leaf down the petiole stems like pretty pretty nuts so like i can't imagine it would be a very bad thing so um but that that's telling me it's something i guess coming off the coming off the x chromosome wants to breed for resin resin production so that would tell me it's uh it's a good thing so would you be so willing as to say that you would go for resinous males if I had one, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Alrighty. Kind of somewhat related. How detrimental is it to reveg a plant? Some people, I don't think it happens so much anymore, but some people do struggle to tell the sex of the plant, so they'll kind of change the light cycle up and reveg it. You know, do you think this is damaging? And I guess maybe at the more extreme end of the spectrum, if you've forgotten to take a clone and, you know, you're like revegging like a fully flowered, harvested plant. Do you think that's detrimental? Like, is, is, is the resulting plant going to be similar or maybe a bit worse? Um, I think, like, both ways, like, totally doable thing, but they take time. So, in the case of we just had, like, the lower third of a plant, you know, we left, like, a couple of buds on it, right, and we're just going to re-veg it. Um, it takes a long time before you really get any growth out of it anyway. And then that growth is going to be kind of wacky for a little while. So I, I just think it takes it takes a little longer for it to really get back into the swing of things before, like, you can start taking clones and blooming them again. Um, 
because I think like if you take another clone too early and throw it in bloom, it'll, it'll act a little bit wacky on you. So I think it's just more important just to give it that that time, you know, to to fully fully reveg and start throwing out, you know, more than single leaves and little mutated stuff, you know, throw out like some proper fans and become more of a plant again, and then taking clones from there. But like I've I've reveg stuff before in the past and. I had one that we did five times. We were just doing it just to see, you know, like what, you know, what happened, like if it got better or got worse or what, whatnot. And, um, you know, it stayed the same every single time. Bit unexpected in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, while we're on the topic of unexpected, are you kind of of the mindset that some of the more memorable strains throughout history or just maybe even ones you've made are ones that kind of produced really unexpected results? Like, I guess, you know, if you've got one parent that's chocolate and one that's strawberry, you know, you kind of expect it to be like chocolate strawberry or whatever. And the offspring instead is like rotten cheese. I find that the predictable strains tend not to be ones that go down in history. Would you agree with that or what do you think? Yeah, it seems like that's the case a lot of times, but it's like the weird ones, you know, that's that's the reason why they're so memorable, because they're really unique. So um, I did uh, Kim Dog D and Hindu Kush, and that it, in, in theory, should produce like a lot of like really nasty, funky smells, and um, they did, but there was one that popped up, and it was strawberry, man. Like the most strawberry strawberry I'd ever seen in weed and that was the one we called Smuckers man <laughs> but you know totally just blew my mind you know and then that turned into its own little own little project you know for strawberry stuff and like found out that like it something that weird you wouldn't think like alright now if I take this and you know breed it to something else like will it will it retain any of the strawberry fruitiness or am I going to go back to like rank and nasty and um, we hit it with C99 and it stayed nice and strawberry and, and good so that was like a big big plus lets me know that it could be worked so I started working on that too you must be a mind reader so my next question was I've seen a photo of Smucker's C99 crossed to Bubbleberry. What's what's the deal with Bubbleberry and what's the deal with this cross? Can we expect to see more of it? Yeah, just uh, messing around with it at the at the moment, just seeing uh, seeing what all it what all it holds. It's, yeah, it's like an old old Bubbleberry clone, so it uh, it's got more of that. I don't know how to explain it really, like a pungent very pungent skunky fruity it's kind of like that uh like that four-way it's kind of funky <laughs> okay and do you plan to do any future work with the bubbleberry because that's that's an interesting one that i don't think too many people are familiar with but the ones who are and the ones i've spoken to extremely fond of it oh yeah yeah it's a, it's a really killer killer plant um I'll, like i'll reverse the 91 onto it as well so fixing to start digging through through those here really soon too so if we jump back to a comment Bodhi made in his interview he said that he thinks the uh, the hash plant Neville used in the creation of Skelly was the PNW hash plant 
I'm pretty sure you could get that one if you wanted. You know, have you ever grown it out? And do you think that there's any possible relationship between the two? Um, sorta. Um, I think so. I know the when he made. I'll tell you what. I'm gonna grab this catalog real quick. That way, I'm not guessing. Hold on. All right. So. Now, it was always my understanding, like, he used that hash plant to make a hash plant, but he also had one that was just a Northern Lights um, hybrid. So, I know that uh, they're very similar, you know, very, very similar. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess it maybe goes without saying that I think Bodhi kind of referenced it as well. Skelly is like a big step up in potency than what the PNW one is, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. All right. So here we have uh, out of the 1989 Seed Bank catalog. All right. So Hash Plant Pure says, After years of inbreeding and testing, we have decided to offer our famous Hash Plant as a pure variety. The pure hash plant differs from the hash plant Northern Lights number one F1 hybrid, and that is it is an inbred strain, possessing the wonderful indica taste and high of the original cutting. Okay, so that, that tells me like he's he's talking about you know that that original you know Pacific Northwest cutting. Um, the yield and vigor will be less than the hybrid under most conditions and that's like what we were talking about earlier you really you start inbreeding something you lose a little bit of that hybrid vigor um but the quality will be better uh this one this is the one to get if you're a true indica connoisseur or a serious breeder you can expect a very fast indoor finish copious resin and a flat top budge structure now when i look at the picture of that that looks like, you know, skelly all, all day long. So, yeah, if you look at the um, the um, hash plant Northern Lights number one hybrid, it looks like, you know, you just took that, that Pacific Northwest cutting and hit it with a NL1. What else did he do here? Man, if you could just order some of this shit still, it'd be awesome. And then you have <laughs> The G13 hash plant, but like uh, unless he was making films, you know, like he couldn't have couldn't have done that. And I think see. he said he still has some of the stock. Heck yeah! So Northern Lights five crossed to the NL2. Then he was selling the NL2 and an F3. And. Let's see what else. Got the garlic blood. Yeah, he's got a lot of, a lot of shit. Just basically every building block strain ever. Yeah, pretty pretty much. But um, so yeah, I would I would say that um, his hash plant pure was probably like I said that that Pacific Northwest cutting cross to one of the one of the NL crosses that he did. Um, I'm thinking like the the one with NL1 or two, probably uh, back crossed or inbred somehow with that Pacific Northwest cutting again, and then yeah, that's where where it is. Interesting. And so, 
I guess the notable thing I find about Skelly and uh, some other plants is that the aesthetics isn't really the the be all end all with these plants. Yeah. So I guess it's a little different for you because you're quite familiar with this. But overall, where do aesthetics sit kind of in your little hierarchy of attributes? Do you value it or just given you're familiar with strains where it's totally not correlated in general, do you not correlate it? Um, ah, oh man, like I, I see, I like, I can see, you know, like beauty and all of it because like I know what it is, you know, like, um, certain things, like you said, that skelly, it's not the most aesthetic thing in the world, but, uh, the smell, the taste and the quality of the stone and everything, um, makes it, makes up way, way up for it, you know? Um, and there's other things say like purple punch, you know? purple real frosty and kind of worthless you know like in the in the stone department you know but it looked real pretty so like i'm more of a um, smell taste quality type you know more so than like the look looks alone you know what i mean yeah for sure and so i guess kind of with this in mind how can breeders better cater to the commercial market because I think me and Gene, kind of, we kind of struck on this idea a little bit. And he said something along the lines of like, there's two major types of growers in Cowleys. The one who pump out units and the ones who hold on to the rare heirloom strains and basically sacrifice the crop to do so. So I guess with that in mind, how can we try to cater, you know, to the guys pumping out units so that it's not just Blue Dream and it's not just, you know, certain strains that maybe aren't the best, like, you know, Purple Punch, as you just mentioned. Yeah, you you really have to you have to start breeding for um, yield in mind too, and that's whether you can breed yield into something without sacrificing a lot of the other things, or if there is some type of sacrifice and you can reach some form of a compromise with it. Like if it's yielding that much, you know, if it is like commercial <clears throat> commercial units as they put it, um, it's normally not very good. You know what I mean? So if you can make that better, um, strike a happy medium or go better, um, I think you could do that. Um, <clears throat> if if I was going to do it, I'd probably be looking more to um, cater a lot more to the greenhouse and outdoor dudes. Um, they tend to, you know, they grow a lot. Um, and since like the price of a, a pack in California for their outdoor goes so low, um, you know, they're looking to get it extracted, you know. So once they extract it, you know, the price went, went back up, you know, because the oil that was produced from something that was greenhouse or outdoor, um, you know, it's worth just as much as anything else, as long as the quality is good, right? So if you could, if you could offer, good outdoor and greenhouse producers that offer the yield and very high level of terpenes and be a good quality product um, with a lot of the pest and mildew and mold resistances bred into it I think like that's where you would have it um, and then if you're marketing say toward um, like commercial indoor facilities um, you would be looking for very short flower times 
as well as you know the yield and trying to keep the happy medium but i think like if you can <clears throat> you can shorten your flower times enough you know you can get a whole extra run in per year you know versus the next guy if you're like really on it you know so i think like that would bring a lot of value to you know a commercial facility um and especially like if you can give them that ridiculously high yielding and also like pretty damn potent and stinky weed you know that that would help them out you know okay and so one question i personally wanted to ask was the genius haze the apollo haze fantastic line at first i was wondering are you going to work it forward but then i was like no more importantly are we ever going to see the grail haze released in straight form you know i really love all the crosses it's been used in what were the females of that like um they're really really gnarly and like the thing is is like a buddy of mine is the guy who made those so um you know unless like that was something like he wanted to do you know he can do it but um you know nobody's heard from him in a while like i kind of it's kind of like half worried about him like i don't know what happened to him but um but yeah he was the one that made the, the actual grill haze so I was just selecting uh, selecting a boy out the bunch. And so what were the girls like? Were they just kind of like bigger yielding Cindy's? Mm, sort of, yeah. More or less. Like a long, like more like spear type buds and um, still really quick flowering time. Um, a lot of candied type, type smells, you know. It's pretty nice. So, here's, here's an interesting one I've mentioned before, and I'd love to know your opinion on it. I've noticed that, you know, often plants can basically be telling you that they're happy, but then if you were to give them, say, a tea, i.e. externally more nutrients than they would have otherwise had access to, you know, they, they might have a bit of a bloom of growth. And so, it kind of signifies to me, like, although they might not have been showing deficiencies, like, they likewise could have used more than what they had access to. Do you think that that's kind of the case, or have I kind of misanalyzed uh, something? How do you see that whole situation? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Um, and I've seen it like the opposite too. Like it's not showing a, it's not showing a toxicity, but you're like stunning the yield. You know, like it's not like herming out or like burning or darkening up a whole lot, but that extra bit of food caused it to yield less. And, you know, I've also seen it um, where it yields more. So, and then you got to find out why, you know, sometimes it has nothing to do with like any NPK values. A lot of times it has to do with a lot of, you know, like sulfur and magnesium and calcium, you know. Um, sometimes it has to do more with a certain timing of a, of a tea, like you said, and also, you know, like a fulvic and veg or a humic and bloom type you know supplement to help it take it up you know and then some plants don't react well some plants freak out and hurt you know like uh it's really an individual basis like their eating habits and all it's like they're generally the same it's kind of like people i guess breakfast lunch dinner but what do they eat for breakfast what do they eat for lunch and what do they eat for dinner you know you might have a vegan versus a you know, meat eater, vegetarian in the middle. Um, some people don't eat breakfast, you know. I mean, 
you got to kind of work with them and tune them over time. So sometimes you get lucky and you knock it out the park the first time, and then you'll try something different, like feeding it that little more, and notice your yield went down or maybe it went up. But that's what it's all about is repeating that same grow over you know over and over until you've really really tweaked it and that just takes time and trial and error so how do you feel about some of the organic additives that fall outside of kind of the norm of products so like you know obviously fulvic acid pretty common one what about some of the more i guess kind of exotic things we see nowadays like uh, insect frass or like chitin based products or things like mammoth pea where do you sit on those ones have you dabbled with them and would you recommend them yeah, we use insect brass. That that's really nice stuff. Um, you know, those chitons, you know, they're, they're, it's a big help um, keeping the immune system rolling and everything too. Um, that in correlation with like aloe water and everything. Um, the mammoth pea I tried out. Um, <clears throat> it kind of like it did did what it was supposed to, but it seems like it's like. Um, like got an enzyme in it or something too because like certain things that made it like want to foxtail out so I kind of figured I was like ah it's probably like you know it's like an enzyme and you know some type of fungal fungal microbe so um so do you tend to like dabble with all the the new and latest things or are you more kind of like just sticking to like the the known and trusted things per se you know, I, I, I tried to, to be that guy and uh, trying some things out, and, um, and it, it didn't work out good. You know, I mean, it was all right, but the, the old tried and true system was better. So kind of went back to that, and, um, you know, every now and again I'll, I'll hear when, but it's normally, like, through a friend or something. Like it said, that you know, they tried something out. And it really, really, you know, helped. And there's only like a handful of people I know that I'm, I'm really going to listen to, you know, what they have to say. So, um, so yeah, every now and again, you know, try something different. And so, what is kind of your tried and true staple? Like, what's what's the one kind of amendment or the one thing in your soil mix that you just think does some serious good work? Mm, it's all of it you know all of it kind of working together but the soil mix with the dragonfly coconut for uh, coconut water for an enzyme rotate that with like malted barley for an enzyme and so the dragonfly and the microbes you know like the lush roots and then supplementing like you know some like juices and some sugars toward the end uh, that seems to work the best nice nice and so question I've been asking a few people and you, you, I guess you kind of brought it up once or twice already strains that throw nanas in like the last week or so I know that there are a lot that do it and they're like they don't have pollen they're infertile so that's really kind of like a no-brainer obviously it's not that you know doesn't affect anything per se except for maybe aesthetics but the ones that do produce pollen it's in the last week do you find that to be like a negative trait or do you just think, oh, you know, I guess it's only really a problem if you had like a plant several weeks behind in flower, you know? Like, do you think it's it's pretty acceptable? Because, I mean, there's a lot of strains that do it. Yeah, I mean, like I, I grow some things that that do it, you know, and like they're, 
they're that good so you know I, I cater to it but um if me and you was running like a big commercial facility and like you know we have like tables or like a quarter of the building or a room what have you comes down um when we're breaking plants down i mean the pollen could go over to the the part that's say week two week three flower and get pollinated and then you know people end up with the seeds in their weed and you know they don't they don't want that so uh um you know it would be a problem with that but me and you're just like you know running our little grow rooms doing our thing and you know no big no big deal but um yeah like it just depends what you're what you're doing it could be a big problem but me and you're just running our grows at our house or where we're running like a monocrop or something and it all comes down at the same time you know that could be fine but um ideally yeah you wouldn't have it but that's just the way it works some of them are some of them are that good and they like it you know you just gotta (laughs) do your best (laughs) yeah yeah no i dig so switch it up for a moment when can the general public expect to be able to experience local H for themselves? Uh, like smoking some weed of it? <laughs> yeah, maybe growing it themselves. Oh. Uh, mm, what, like giving a client out, you mean? I mean, like, if that's what you're going to do. Nah, hell no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. It, it plays like a nice little role on like a lot of the little breeding projects and stuff. So, uh, I don't know, man. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> well, there's your answer, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a question I get asked from a lot of people, cause I think they probably think I ask people the question, even though I don't include it in the interview, which is not true. I include basically everything in the interview. Um, Basically, I always get asked the question, how do you guys source all the old school gems that you work with, you know? Is it like a, a crazy seed hunt expedition or like, you know, how do you go about coming across some of these old SSC gems, so to speak? Well, a lot of that, um, it's like family heirloom type shit, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, something like passed down to me. Um you know and then you got some old cats store the seeds up in the freezer and they're kept you know a long time that way and sometimes people get their get their stuff like that or if you you travel around a lot and meet meet and greet people i guess you know like i've I've been to like shows before where dudes come out the woodwork and they're like hey yeah you know i was growing a bunch of williams wonder on the hill for like forever and I heard you, you know, you're into that. And I made a batch of seeds every few years from the original, so here you go. So sometimes it could happen like that, or somebody's just keeping a clone around or whatnot. But a lot of it's just like what we've, what we've had in our life leading up to this point. It's not like we just started doing it, you know, a year or two ago. You know, I've been doing it a long, long time. Yeah. Ain't no fresh meat. Nah. <laughs> Definitely not the first rodeo. So, how can growers be properly rewarded for finding killer phenos? If, if you have a certain space and you choose to use that space to entirely pheno hunt, 
and you sacrifice a large part of what would have been, I guess, like a good crop. How can we as like a community like compensate people, I guess? Not like in a literal sense, but I feel like essentially if over the years, and this kind of goes back to that point Mean Gene made about people either pumping out units or retaining the heirlooms. It's like if you do the math over the years, these people are foregoing a substantial amount of money to do essentially like you know, obviously they enjoy the weed and enjoy keeping it around, but it's there's a bit of a community slash a, you know, like a, a, a selfless aspect to it. You know, how how do we properly like thank and or, you know what I mean, like compensate people who do this? Um, <clears throat> I mean it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy on like a lot of levels, but I would say like the number one thing would be like people that do put in the time to either like do the big pheno hunts and like actually have like that very superior weed um or if it's like you know they're growing an old heirloom strain um some of these things you know they don't particularly yield like blue dream does but they sure do smoke a whole lot better and like the mindset with a lot of the stores in the dispensary world like especially like in colorado is like they really want to lowball the hell out of you and they want to make out like it's kind of all the same a pound is a pound is a pound and um you know they don't want to pay pay the grower what it what it actually is worth and then they go and mark it up like 260 percent or something you know it's kind of ridiculous but i think like if you support good um good farmers good farms um you know don't don't be the one to complain about i guess like the price you know within reason you know if you're like a um like a distributor or a store owner or something you know like that that would help immensely you know but um you know if people would reward quality with you know sticking to that or you know i don't know just like with anything else i suppose like a good restaurant or what have you you know you'd recommend it to your friends you know yeah so the idea that jumps to my mind when you say that is i i know of some people who grow some incredibly boutique weed and it's it's more expensive than the average stuff and people you know there are some people who get really angry at that and like in my mind it's kind of a bit like well you know like if you want to drive a really expensive car like that's kind of your choice you know what i mean like it's not like a car that costs a hundred thousand dollars is literally five times as good as a car that costs twenty thousand dollars you know like the the scaling isn't linear it's you know it's probably only like 50 percent better or something like that you know but but nevertheless there are people who want that type of thing so in my mind it's like if you want to pay for a premium product like cool you know as long as no one's forcing you to but then the, the naysayers will say, yeah, but this is different because this is medicine. And and I kind of think like, oh, I don't really see how that works though. Are you, are you with that same mindset or like how do you see that? Well, I mean, if it's, if it's through somebody's medicine, um, I think it should, all of it should be like of the utmost quality, you know? And if it's for like a truly sick individual, then they should be helped along with that. But I ain't talking about, like, you know, I mean, like, us as, like, humanity on on Earth, like, we're all sick, right, to some degree or another, whether, you know, you back aches or, you know, you're tired or, you know, you're too jittery or, you, uh, you know what I mean? Everybody, you, 
everybody's got something wrong with them, you know? So, like, if you say, like, medicine in that regard, yeah, whatever. But, like, truly, truly ill, sick people that, like, rely on it, need it, they should be helped out, you know? Um, and, yeah, if it is for, like, genuinely, you know, for medicine, medicine, like, um, it should be the utmost quality and, like, the, the best it could possibly be. You know, that's my, my standpoint on it. Recreationally, I mean... Fuck, I mean, if, if I was, if I had a, a weed store or, you know, a grow that supplied stores or both, you know, like, you know, maybe it's just me, but, like, I'd want it to be, like, the best possible. I want people to say, like, hey, wow, you know, that's awesome. Because <clears throat> I feel like if you're giving me money, you know, I'm going to give you quality. I'm not going to give you dog shit. And, two, like, I want to stand out against my competition who does sling dog shit, you know? So, um, either way, like, me personally, I'd, I'm, I'm gonna go for the quality and the best, you know. Each time, I don't, I don't like to sacrifice that type of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I guess, I think kind of the underlying argument that some of the people make in the, you know, the Australian scene at least is like, if you're producing really high quality and maybe you want to be compensated for that, it's like, no, you're like obliged to instead sell for like, you know, far less to someone who's really sick, even though you may not like know someone who's sick and like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's what I think is interesting because I also just think, at least in my personal experience, I haven't met a ton of like white collar growers and I have a feeling you need those guys as well and so yeah my my kind of thinking is that a lot of white collar guys just probably do it for themselves and don't talk to anyone and you need those people to come to the table and so if there's pressure that you have to be doing a certain thing with your crop like it's not going to be incentivizing people to come to the table so to speak yeah yeah exactly like I said you know there's like varying degrees of like sick you know um, so like yeah. the kids I take care of, like they're reliant on it. Like without it, they're they're most likely would die. You know they need it. <laughs> so like and you know very very ill. But then like you know I got a couple of buddies that like I mean they could be like yeah my you know my back hurts a little bit or whatever. You know they they're fine monetarily or whatever. You know that's one thing. But it's yet another thing. You know. One, it's kids. Two, they're really sick, very, very sick. And three, like, family doesn't have any money because, you know, all of it goes to doctor bills if they do got any, you know. So, like, with them, like, I don't charge a penny, you know. I just give it to them. Like, here it is. It's on the house. But, like, if my buddy that, like, if his back was, you know, whatever, I, don't, I really don't give a fuck what, it, what it's for. They're going to they're gonna pay me, and they're going to pay me good for it because <laughs> it ain't yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. Another kind of similar thing to what we were referencing with, you know, like compensating people for finding the clones is that often you'll hear stories of people being like, "Oh yeah, this this clone was worth $5,000, $10,000 and you know, and and the underlying tone is that's outrageous." And it's like 
But at the same time, the person who found that maybe had to do such a big pheno hunt that they forego like more than that amount of money in, you know what I mean, potential crop. And so I guess what I'm thinking is, do you see a bit of a cognitive dissonance there in the way I do where it's like, well, to get these things, you need to sacrifice and you're not willing to make that sacrifice. So you kind of do have to compensate in a way, you know what I mean? Or do you think like, nah, you shouldn't really charge for clones or something along those lines? Well, I mean... People are going to pay and people are going to do and do what they want to do. So, like, as long as there are people out there willing to pay it, people are going to be out there selling it, you know? Like, um, there, there's a lot of things out there that go for astronomical, astronomical amounts of money that aren't really, there's no, like, real hard work into it or anything. It's just based off of rarity, you know? There's a lot of paintings out there that are worth millions of dollars that, Frankly, I mean, they, they, to me, this looks like shit. This looks like somebody just fucking threw up goddamn color on a canvas, you know. But to somebody, that's priceless, you know. So you got that end of it. Um, then you have the other end of it, I guess, like if it was like, uh, say, like for breeding or what have you, you know. Like if it was that rare of a genetic or something or whatnot, I could see like value in that. Um or if, like, you were making um, making a seed line, right? Like, we have to do the same thing. We have to grow out a whole lot, you know, stuff. And, you know, a lot of it doesn't turn out that great, you know? Like, I mean, it's all right. Most people would be stoked, but I'm not. So to me, it was like, you know, it was just filling up space where it could have been used for something else. So, like, you take losses there. But when you do have, like, your good seed lines and you sell it, I mean, that's why we charge money for it. Because, <laughs> you know, we had to put money and space and time into it, you know? Um, and then there's guys that sell, like, individual clones, you know, flats of clones, I guess, to make their money back. And then there's other people, like, we used to do back in the day, we'd make shit that the other guy doesn't have. And we know he don't got it because he couldn't make it, you know? It was something very unique. But in that case, we would hoard the hell out of the clone, and um, we'd be the one growing the weed and selling the weed. And nobody else had that weed because we had that weed, you know? So we were getting reimbursed in that way. So it seems like no matter what, you know, somebody's going to get reimbursed for it no matter what, but to what degree, you know? Because, like, there's people who sell, like, $1,000 packs of randomly chucked together seeds and fancy boxes like people people do that shit you know but it was like real rare and maybe it's like the dankest shit on earth like I, I don't know but there were people there like waiting to pay it you know just because you know beauty's in the eye of the beholder I guess you know yeah okay and so if we jump over to some more growing style questions We've seen a rise in popularity of defoliation lately. What's your kind of thoughts on this whole thing? Are you into it or do you feel it's maybe counterproductive? Uh, it depends. Uh, like goes back to the feeding thing and how every plant's kind of different, you know. Some plants are into it, some of them aren't. Some of them are into it, but only at certain points during the cycle, you know what I mean? So I've never gone so extreme as like what I've what I've seen 
but I mean, I like on headband, you know, I, I defoliate it, you know, fairly, fairly heavy in the beginning and sometimes even like cut them back just so that way they'll, um, they'll stack a little bit harder, you know, um, certain things that want to stretch a lot like that and get viney on you. Um, they tend to respond a little bit better to that. Um, you could take like that skelly hash plant, it's a leaf monster, you know, um, you can pull off so much leaf off of that thing, but I found it, it likes it like done at a couple different points, you know? So like pre, pre flower and then a little bit, um, a little bit later. Um, but it, it grows too much leaf, so you have to pull it off and, um, but it still wants some. You know, I don't like it. Like if you just strip them all off, I don't like that at all. So it just depends, you know. And so you mentioned earlier you like to rotate your enzymes in your feedings, be it the aloe, the cocoa, or the malt. How do you kind of rotate your feedings? You know, because question I get asked a lot by people is, should you try to like stagger each thing? You know, like as you reference, like malt one time, something else the next, something else the following, or yeah. a bit of everything in one. Do you think there's a difference between the two? What's your breakdown on the situation? I've, I've messed around with it a few different ways, from like using nothing but the one thing each grow, and then going to where I was like staggering it, and then where I was going like half strength with both. You know, to kind of combine them, and then. Um, going with using one in the first part of the cycle and then another one during the latter part of the cycle um and it does it does seem to it does seem to kind of have their their benefits on the timing but i don't know if it's just me or not so um i would just say like you know play around with all those things and see what works best for you okay and I had actually read some things saying that some of the specific cytokines in coconut water may not be all that, um, how shall we say, advantageous in flour versus, say, veg. Have you ever noticed anything like that, or do you find coconut water in flour is still good? Yeah, it's pretty damn good. And um, I think, like, a lot of the simple sugars and carbohydrates that are in it um, help with the terpene production a little bit. So, like, I'd be more inclined to use, like, make sure that I was using like the coconut water like later, you know, like mid bloom and stuff. That's just my my opinion on it. And so in some of your posts we've started to see more and more reference, including other people as well, the VA Afghani. You know, what can you tell us about this one? Oh, it's just a really old um Afghani like Afghani one cut um I think like we've like I know I've talked to a couple people that were going to um VCU college like downtown Richmond like the very early 80s that were smoking that same bud and the same crew of dudes that were kind of running it around and growing it so it's just really old um it's really piney like eucalyptus pine um sagey sandalwoody you know very very funky but it's really really potent you know and very heavy and dense dense weed too so it was a always a good grower um but potency on it was like real top notch man it's real nice 
Do you plan to break with it at all? Oh yeah, yeah man. Been doing it, just uh, haven't really been talking about it yet. Trying to make everything like a big surprise for everybody, man. I've probably already said too much, but it's all. <laughs> <laughs> when can we expect a grand unveiling? Um, I don't even know, man. I reckon whenever, whenever it's done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Shouldn't be too long. So, in recent interviews, uh, we've brought up the the topic of the Brothers of Eternal Love and how, you know, their stock is kind of similar to the SSC, regarded, you know, extremely highly. If you had mm-hmm. to choose between the two, you know, I know that they're not exactly apples to apples, so to speak, because, you know, like, Bowl didn't make packs of seeds, but if you had to metaphorically choose between a pack of Bowl and a pack of SSSC, and it could be either of either, you know, what what would you pick? Hmm, it depends on what it is, you know, but I'd, I'd like to think I'd, I'd go with the Brotherhood stuff, you know, a little bit more, because a lot of, like, European stuff revolved around American stuff, you know, they got took back over there, so I'd like to think, like, the bowl and the, the um, sacred seeds you know Mendo Joe and those cats like I'd like to think like there's a little more stout you know a little more a little more hardcore but like SSSC man like they won't they didn't produce no slouch shit either <laughs> so um that's a tough one but like certain things you know I would definitely be you know looking at the seed club stuff but yeah, if, like if you, you know, had a gun to my head and made me pick one, I'd, I'd go with Brotherhood shit. Nice, okay. And so are there any clones out there currently that you would love to work with? That, like, you know, you know they're about, but you just haven't got for one reason or another? Williams Wonder, man. A really good Williams Wonder would be nice. And, I don't know, that's probably, probably about it. I've seen a few posts of that popping up. Do you think it's all legit, or maybe there's a few people who think they have it, but they don't have it? No, I don't know. <laughs> I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen any or smelled or smoked any in a long time. So, man, shit, man, ain't no telling. I would imagine, like, you know, that, was, that stuff was pretty damn good, so I would imagine, like, people kept kept some clones rolling you know i'd find it hard to believe that it you know is extinct extinct yeah okay and so if you had to pick just one clone that you felt had the most potential to breed with what would it be and i guess by that i mean it pairs well with just like such a variety of different males you know you just consistently produces good results you know what's your one clone uh as far as like a male to 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 cross to or female? Oh, yeah, like, like a female. Yeah, it just works well in mm-hmm. all the hybrids. I don't know, man. Like, I mean, there's there's certain ones that's like you can take it to the bank and count on it, you know, like producing a certain result. And then there's other ones that like you could get like such a varied result to where you could end up with 10 different other things to work on. So if I was looking for, like, the Old Faithful or if I was looking for something to give me a multitude of variety, you know? Um, yep. Um, well, I don't know. 
that's that's a really hard question, man. Yeah, all right. Well, how about another one that just came to mind? Out of all the females you work with, what's your your go-to female for when you want to cross a male to, you know, like we we referenced it earlier, you know, like you're going to cross a new male to something in a project, but you've always got that one standby where you know how it reads, you know what's predictable, so you can use it as like a, a calibration reference almost. What female is that for you? Um... I can, like, Local H is real good about that, you know. Um, there's a couple of them that are really good because, like, I know, like, if it can dominate over something from a particular cross, then, you know, then I'm I'm doing pretty pretty damn good. Like, if that's my, my goal is to, you know, have a male that's a little more dominant, you know. <clears throat> so, uh, but that Local is pretty good. You know, it can tell me a whole lot about what what something's doing with structure, especially, um, especially if I'm running down a particular set of genes. You know, it can tell me a whole lot. Yeah. Okay. So, another little personal question I wanted to sneak in there: Do you think it's detrimental at all to have a male in your flowering room? from flower day one such that essentially you know the the first pistols are, that are emerging on the females are going to be pollinated fairly shortly after that indoor as soon as they emerge like do you think that's detrimental at all just because the common thing which you know i even say to people when they ask me is oh uh, you know ideally you want to pollinate the females around week three week four so you know probably introduce the male into the room around about that time which is obviously counter to what I just mentioned earlier, what how do you feel about it all? Of course, you know different females are going to have different flowering times. Um, they all have their own peak time, I would say, like to get overall saturation. Right now, with your male, it's going to be the same thing. Um, I have some males that are, are very fast that are actually faster than the females so he's already dumping pollen by the time that they're just getting like tiny popcorn buds you know um that and me personally that would be that would be too early you know i mean if you're making beans for yourself like just fucking around it's whatever but like if you were doing it in a production type thing you know that wouldn't be good you know you'd want them a little further along so you'd really have to know when does your when does your male start to actually drop drop pollen, you know, and then you can kind of gauge that um, versus like the peak time on the females that are going to go in, and then know when to bring them in. Because certain ones, um, there was like a, a certain sativa male in the past, you would have to put it in almost a week ahead of all the females, you know. Um, and then there's another one that I can't put in the room till like day 14 of bloom for the females, you know. So there's some that go in on the same day, you know. So you got to really have it timed out on how your boy is um, to to know like when you're going to hit your peak peak, sac- yeah, peak saturation. Okay, interesting. And and what do you think is the peak saturation from? 
most plants in the sense that I've heard pretty wildly varying figures in terms of like the number of seeds you can get off a plant. Obviously, it's got a lot to do with the size of the plant, but I mean, often people will talk about a plant in a certain size pot and that helps to give a little bit of frame to the whole metric, but some people say you get 15,000 off a plant where others will say for the same size plant, you'll only get 1.5 thousand. What, what is it? Um, well, one, it's not just how many there are, it's the quality of the ones that are there. Um, if you're too late going in, you could end up with 30,000, but, you know, 20,000 are good, you know. Um, if you're too early, you know, you might end up with 10,000 really, really perfect ones and not the first dud. Um, so there's, there is like a balance, you know, but I think like if you hit, if you hit the plan at the right time, I mean, you, you can get a lot of them and have them all, all be good at the same time. You know, if you're giving them the right nutrition and, um, trying to facilitate seed production type, type food, you know, um, you can have some really nice seeds and a whole, whole lot of them, 15, 20 thousands, not that, you know. It's not that unfathomable <laughs> to have on a plant. Yeah, okay. And what would be your advice for helping to supplement the uh, seeded plant's nutrient demands after it has been pollinated? Because it seems as though the nutrient requirements for a seeded plant is probably about on par for a flowering plant, at least from what I've seen. But at the same time, you know, it's it, it seems as though you can certainly keep a seeded plant very happy. And I think that's maybe a little bit of a misconception. People think that seeded plant will just look shit or maybe like they use it to give credence to the fact that their plant looks shit <laughs> nah like um like yeah, they should look look pretty good you know like um when I when I make seeds like <clears throat> a lot of the stuff it looks just very similar to the room like when it's unseeded you know like very very fat and swole calyxes because there's actually seeds in it instead of them just swelling um, lots of resin, lots of stink, you know, everything's right on point, point with that. I've always been under the, the thought of like, I mean, you're reproducing, you know, and, um, you know, new life is being created. Not only is it being created, but it's being created at like, you know, 15 or 20,000 fold that you would want to facilitate the building, the DNA building blocks as much as possible, you know? So think like the amino acids and, um, heavy emphasis, not so much on the NPK side, but a lot of other smaller things that go unnoticed, like tend to, tend to help facilitate the seed, seed making as well. Boron's a real big one. And yeah, (laughs) You know, and like I said, you know, keeping a good steady diet of that type of stuff, you know, pretty moderate NPK um, seems to seems to do the best. Yeah, okay, awesome. And so what would be your advice to people who feel like they've got a pretty solid grasp on organics but are really looking to take it to the next level, whether it be, you know, in general, maybe they're looking to get a bit more out of their crop, you know, like what's kind of your advice maybe in terms of resources to look up, products to look into, things like that, you know, like what's some of the more advanced stuff that you feel can help people take their game to the next level? 
I really feel like the, the most simple approach is always the best in that a lot of it really falls into your environment and um, like you were saying earlier, really tuning your plant, knowing exactly how much it wants to eat or not eat. So, you know, like you were saying, like you got a plant that doesn't show any deficiencies at all, but, you know, had you fed it that little more, it would have doubled in size, what have you. Um, vice versa with the one that's not burning, but, you know, it's being overfed, so it doesn't doesn't want to blow out. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with, like, one's tuning to a plant and then also their environment, you know, making sure the environment's real nice temperature, humidity-wise. Um, light intensity is also a big one. A lot of people overkill their, their plants. Um, so, um, you know, if you can get, like, a little cheap light meter, play around with that a little bit, that tends to help. Um... As far as like nutrition wise, like I like I'm pretty sold on the the dragonfly stuff, man. You know, so I used to like make my own little teas from scratch, you know, raw amendments. But like the dragonfly is taking it up, you know, quite quite a substantial notch. So um, I'm real big on that. Um, adding growth stones and everything to the soil um, when you're not breaking the root ball up and tilling it all up, you know. I don't want to say, like, I'm doing no-till, but, I mean, essentially. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know how I grow. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, just remember, I just remembered how you were like, ain't no no-till going on here. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, man. <laughs> that was a really good accent, too. That's funny as shit. <laughs> right, well, as it turns out, we're down to like our last few questions. So, first one I've been asking everyone over the past few months. It's kind of like died off a bit, but it's, I think it's still a bit of a pertinent question. Should you ask for permission? So, let's give the most extreme example. Um, you know, obviously, given you've got a good relationship with Mass G, this would never actually happen. But let's just say you went to recreate a batch of Grimdog and for whatever reason, he contacts you and says, oh, I'm really not comfortable with you doing that. Would that be enough for you to not do it? Or, you know, like, do you feel like you need to respect someone's intentions to the point where, like, it could literally stop you from making something like that? Or, you know what I mean? Where do you sit on that issue? Well, me personally, like, you know, I have a respect for people and, you know, I was raised pretty good. So, like, me personally, I'd be like, yeah, without a doubt, you got it. At 86 at that moment, you know. Um, I know a lot of people don't. You know, because, like, they don't, their circumstances are different than mine, you know. If the guy, <clears throat> the guy who, you know, popped the seed that found the clone is also the same dude that gave me the clone, the whole reason I got it, then, you know, I'm going to respect that, you know. But a lot of these guys, you know, they <laughs> they scored their clone off of a forum from a guy's, guy's cousins, uncles from Maui and Oregon's finest fucking underground brotherhood crazy shit, you know? He doesn't know him. He's never met him, you know? And probably just doesn't give a fuck, you know? So, you know, that guy, you know, is different than me. So, like I said, with me, you know, I always got a, you know, a line of respect for, for people, you know? Good game yeah. plan. Alrighty, yeah. so next little question I think you'll be able to help me resolve is 
after discussing it with a few people, the consensus seems to be that the Joshy D OG is the ghost OG, but it's not the TK. But people seem to be suggesting that it's probably an S1 of the TK. How does that all sound to you in terms of, like, correctness, so to speak? Shit if I know, man. Like, I, <laughs> I always thought that they were all the same. But Yeah, uh, okay. I mean, um, yeah, maybe. Maybe they are. Because, um, like, I've never been able to, <clears throat> like... Uh, so like if, if let's say like Josh D comes up and he's like, Hey buddy, here's this this uh OG Kush, you know, I want you to you to grow it. And I'd be like, Okay. And if he told me like, Yeah, this like, you know, we had a buddy that held on to the clone, called him ghost and, you know, blah blah blah, they run through the story and it tells me like, Yeah, it's the same clone, it's just a different name. It would be like Skunk VA, Chem Dog, right? It's really it's Chem Dog, right? But you know, there's something else attached to it. But, you know, you could say it's like, yeah, it's the same clone. Now, if he gave that to me and then say, like, Cornbread's like, hey, buddy, here's my TK con, grow it. Now, if I can grow them side by side, then maybe I could I could answer that better. But I've never had that, that happen. <laughs> so, um, and, like, it's weird, too, because, like, you know, people's, like, grow style and stuff like you know you can smoke something and it tastes completely different than the other guy they're growing like the same shit but you know they have a little bit different way of doing it you know and sometimes things express a little bit differently so that's always real real hard yeah totally I, I think it's actually quite dramatic the differences from person to person where it's at the point where even if you're running all the same strains as say your mate like you're going to kind of have your own weed in a way like you know like it's you got your own little fingerprint of growing almost yeah man yeah exactly alrighty so one question I wanted to ask you was do you have like a cut of northern lights or like something akin to that that you use or you're just never interested like it's never really come up when we've been chatting yeah I do but you know like uh, Northern Lights it's like one of them things um, like if somebody like offers it to me right like I'm always real leery of it it's like sour diesel or something you know it's like ah you know I don't know man <laughs> you know yeah um, but yeah yeah, and like that's that's another little another little project that's going on at the same time. You said all all in due time, buddy. All in sneaky, due time. Sneaky, sneaky. Very sneaky. Alrighty. <laughs> Lucky last question. Oh, sorry, go on. Nah, I was done. <laughs> Alrighty. So yeah, lucky last question for today at least is: Would you, and should other people? use cindy 99 as a male more so than a female in any breeding projects they're looking to do and the reason why i think of that is because all the females are consistently phenomenal and you know the males are basically just male versions of the females and so there's really like no guesswork in it you know it seems like um it seems like yeah like you're just gonna have a killer male no matter what so with that in mind would you not want to use it as a male in the cross because taking the guesswork out of finding a good male um no nah, i mean it's it's a pretty good place to start and like um anything that's been inbred 
you know, heavily that still produces like really killer female offspring, um, and like, you know, fairly consistent, you know, that's, that's going to help you a lot. So like skunk one, you know, that was like bred to like F4, you know, that was, that was a great one to use, you know, that's why it was like a pretty good backbone. Some of the Northern lights that were worked same way. Um, it gave you a pretty predictable outcome in that F1 generation, you know, and then the rest of it was kind of working up to you, you know, either Philly will breed it or back cross it or whatever you were going to do. Yeah. I mean, my experience with the one that <clears throat> I had selected was, um, it wasn't taking anything away from the, from the mother and the offspring, you know, it was just kind of adding, adding some good, some good notes to it, you know? So that that was nice. It wasn't like overly dominating, which to me is like kind of important. Like if you're making like F1, because you know the mother's like it's got so many good qualities that you really want to retain. You could go that route and just kind of enhance it a little bit. You know, it's going to change some, of course, but you you retain a lot of those high notes from the mom. So um, that was a you know pretty good thing. Okay, I thought of a actually a, a sneaky last question for you. Hopefully, hopefully, this one will make you laugh. We got we got the newest hype strain on the scene, in my opinion, and it's, it's somewhat related to you. So you're going to have to have an opinion on it. GMO. Oh uh, yeah, it's the Kim D and the Cooks. Yep. Is how do you feel? You, do you feel like betrayed in a way? No, no. Um, I had so like my buddy. He uh he stays up in Oregon. He's uh got held on to my Kim D cut for me for like freaking ever. He uh he made a form cut cookies, uh, and pollinated it with the Kim D like a hot minute back. And um they they're they're nowhere like they're not the same type uh um offspring 'cause that GMO is like kinda kinda garlicky, funky, you know. Um, his like turned out like it was really good. It was like one of the times where like it was a cookie hybrid, and I was like, oh, that is actually pretty, pretty damn good, man. And um, I actually liked it. And like I see Collective and Skunk, you know, they did the the Kim Scout, you know, and that one was pretty good too. So like they go, they go pretty, pretty good together, man. That's it. That's it. So, when can we expect the uh, the GMO cube project to be done? <laughs> no, that's, that's somebody else to do right there. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, um, any comments, shout-outs, anything you wanted to make? Um, just thanks for uh, thanks for having me on again, and um, yeah. I mean, if I get to doing shout-outs, there's just too many people, man. Anybody I know. Hey. <laughs> <Everyone>. <laughs> yeah, just lump it all into everybody and, uh, you know, a little patience down south and um, dragonfly earth medicine. And, yeah, and uh, come by to see me at uh, Emerald Cup. I think it's uh, booth 92 is going to be it. So you have to come say hey to me and come to VA and get some rolls and get seeds or just come by and shoot the shit whatever's clever come on through there we have it gang part 2 done hope you enjoyed it like I did 
big, big thank you to 420 Australia, OGS, and our Patreon sponsors. Stay tuned for more content soon, and be sure to check out Duke and Skunk's booth, the Emerald Cup. I'll see you there. La 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 la.